Good morning. All right, our passage is 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. <clears throat> so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exalted, exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, that's a weird passage, isn't it? That's something you don't hear every day. <laughs> Imagine if the scriptures were full of stories that you just heard every day. Right, and they just, you're just like, oh, there, there's another story. But you don't get that when you read the scripture. You get these wonderful uh, stories that God is inviting you into. And here today, our scripture involves the prophet Elijah, who is this grand character in the Old Testament. And so you have Elijah and a widow who lived in a town called Zarephath. And out of the two, out of these two people in this scripture passage, it's really easy to focus on Elijah because he is clearly the more dominant one in the story here. Elijah is, one, is the one being directed by God in this story, and he's the miracle worker in this story. And he's portrayed as being confident and strong. And that's the portrait of Elijah when you read this. But then... You have this widow, this widow who is at the end of her rope. And she's presented in this scripture passage as weak and desperate. And your heart just breaks for her. And yet, and yet, both God and Elijah rely on this widow as a means to carry out God's divine plan. Now, you have to really focus on that. God's divine plan. This isn't just like a normal story here. God is up to something. God is on a mission here. It's just like a story. It's not a story for a story's sake to put in the scripture. God in the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, the whole of scripture, God is on a mission. And we really have to grasp that every time we read a narrative in the scripture. What is God doing here? 
Well, we're going to discover what God is doing here in this scripture. So what I want to do right now is tell you how and why Elijah ended up with this widow and her son because he took, he, you know, he, he lived with them for quite some time. Well, the story occurs during the reign of King Ahab and his queen Jezebel. Raise your hand if you've heard of either one of those two, King Ahab or Jezebel. Yeah, okay, very common right there. And King Ahab was king over the northern kingdom of Israel. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and that occurred after Solomon's reign, all right? The kingdom split, so you have two kingdoms, northern and southern. So King Ahab is in the southern. Uh, in the northern, whew, almost, almost threw you off there. We could have taken that in an entirely different direction, right? Some, uh, someone call me out, <laughs> right? But check this out. He was king of the northern kingdom. Now, when you hear the word Israel, okay, that word, word right there should trigger things. And what should come to mind is God or Yahweh, right? After all, Israel is God's nation. He created Israel. And God is the God of Israel. It is his nation. Well, why am I telling you this? Well, because during the time of Elijah, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were trying to make Baal worship a statewide religion. In other words, they were trying to establish Baal Makurk, which is the name of that god, who Baal-Makur is the patron god of the Phoenicians. Well, they were trying to make Baal the god of Israel and not Yahweh. Well, why were they trying to do that? You have to ask that question. Simply because Queen Jezebel was Phoenician. And the Phoenicians worshipped the god Baal, and so she wanted Israel to do likewise. And here she is, a queen, okay, King Ahab's queen, over northern Israel. And so, therefore, let's change some things. Things are going to be different from this point on. We're not worshipping God. We're not worshipping Yahweh anymore. We're going to worship Baal. And that's what was going on. So how do they go about doing this? Well, what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel did in their effort to make Israel a Baal-worshipping nation, they launched an effort to exterminate all of Yahweh's prophets in the land. And when I say exterminate, I'm talking kill. And that did not go well with God. He said, uh-uh, I'm not having any of this. So God caused a drought to occur throughout the land. And he called on Elijah the prophet to declare that there would be this severe drought throughout the land, which would naturally cause what? Drought leads to famine and other things. And here's the thing. When you look at this passage, don't think of this as just being a drought. Oh, it's just a simple drought. That's missing the whole point of God's mission altogether. By causing no rain, God was taking divine action against the god Baal by showing the people who was really in control. This is very similar to God taking action against the Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, now God is taking act, divine action against King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and their patron god Baal. And just like God decimated the economy in Egypt in the days of Moses, he was doing much of the same in Israel right now. You're seeing an echo. You're seeing a pattern develop. By having the prophet Elijah declare this drought, it put Elijah in harm's way, wouldn't you say? So he had to go into hiding because they began hunting him during this drought. And that brings us to today's scripture. 
That's the backdrop of today's scripture. And it begins today by God telling Elijah to go to a town called Zarephath. And the text tells us that Zarephath is in the region of Sidon. As if you all know where that is, right? <laughs> okay, where is Sidon? I have no idea. But here's what you need to know. Zarephath was located outside of Israel's territory. So this wasn't Hebrew territory. This wasn't Israel here. This was what they would refer to as a land of heathens, right? Or to put it nicely, this is Gentile territory. This is really important here. And here's the irony of this place. The town of Zarephath was a Phoenician town that worshipped the god Baal. Do you see the irony there? The same God that Queen Jezebel worshipped. And here you have God having Elijah, his prophet, take shelter there from the queen, from King Ahab. That's ironic right there. And this is the most unlikely of places to hide out for a prophet of God, for a prophet of Yahweh. Wouldn't you say? Right under their noses. God works in mysterious ways. I can picture Elijah going, you want me to go where? Are you kidding me? And in this Gentile territory lived a Gentile widow who was at the end of her rope. And she was defeated so much that she was basically preparing her last meal for her son and her. I'm going to make a meal and then go die. That's how bad the drought was in the area. It extended beyond Israel. And all she had left to eat was a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil. And then Elijah shows up and asks for two things from her, right? First he asks for water, and then he asks for basically a little, you know, what you can make out of the flour, a little cake. That's what, that's what he asks. Now, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Well, the story gets a little weird at this point, if you ask me. And if you slow down, you're going to see this, okay? If you really want a good picture of what's going on here, okay, remember this, this um, person, this widow, is starving. She's making her last meal and going to die. Okay, she's pretty much succumbed to that. This is what's going to happen. This is my fate, so to say. This would be, and then Elijah shows up in the scene, and here's what he does. Um, if, if you want to get a good sense of this, go up to a homeless person on the street who is clearly not eating, is clearly in need of a meal, is clearly in need of drink, right? Thirsty, just on their last rope, and you just feel compassion, and you feel bad, right? Go up to that person and ask them for a drink. Go up to that person and ask them for a meal. Would you do that? That would just be cruel, right? That's what's going on here. You would never ask a homeless person for a drink and food because that's the very thing that person needs. And here you have Elijah doing this. That, you see what I mean? The story just gets really weird right now. So this is the situation with the widow. And she is the most unlikely person you would go to, right? You wouldn't take shelter in this town, and you wouldn't take shelter with this widow. How are you going to eat? And yet God chooses her. This is where I want you to go. You don't think that tested Elijah's faith? Where did God just send me? Am I listening properly here? This is insane. So here's what we got going on again so far regarding unlikely choices. God chooses the unlikely place of Zarephath for Elijah to hide, and he chooses an unlikely person to help care for Elijah, a starving widow. And the story gets weirder after this. 
Uh, because, because you would expect Elijah to back off. You know, if you go up to that homeless person, you ask them for a drink, they say, are you insane? You're going to back up. Sorry. <laughs> Just crossed the boundary there, right? Well, Elijah asked the widow for a drink, and then she tells him her situation, okay? And you would expect Elijah to go, wow, probably I might be, you know, maybe I got to go back in prayer and, and, and consult God, see if he sent me to the right place. No, he doesn't do that. He pushes harder. After the widow tells Elijah that she is preparing her last meal for her son and her, and that she was expecting to die from starvation, Elijah says to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first, before you do that, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. Did you, did you hear the request there? It's, do you have bad listening skills here, Elijah? We don't know what that's like, do we? Okay, right? We don't know what that's like. She's like, are you hearing me? Elijah said, before you make a meal for yourself, make me one. Yeah, I know you're getting ready to die. <laughs> By the way, make me a meal. I heard everything you said. Eh. Can you imagine how that came across? But he does add something to justify this. He adds that my God will take care of you and you will not starve. You got to wonder how the widow received that. Right? You got to wonder that. And then the widow does the most unlikely thing. She made Elijah a meal. Not a big meal, like a little cake out of the flour. And then Elijah took refuge in her house with her son, and they were able to eat. Okay? Now, I, I think you have to pause when you're reading this, and you have to wonder what were they eating, okay? Because you have to be very careful here. The text doesn't say that they weren't hungry. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they feasted. That God removed Elijah from the situation. Everyone else was experiencing the drought and famine, but not Elijah because he was a prophet. I'm going to take care of him. Lobster all the way around. Well, they couldn't eat that. Okay. But food all the way around. That's Levitical food laws. I don't want to get into that right there. But he didn't starve. That's the point right here. Yeah, he was probably hungry. Yeah, the widow were probably hungry. Yeah, there were probably slim days. Okay? But God took care of them. He didn't remove him from the situation. He got him through the situation. A lot of times we want God to remove us from the situation when we should be praying to God to get us through the situation. Okay? Because when we go through the situation, it isn't just you know, simply navigating your way through a hoop. It's a growth. You're growing through it. You're maturing through the situation. Why would you want to be removed from that? You can come closer to God when you get out of the situation. Thanks be to God for how he matures us, for how he grows us, for what we enter into. Now here's where I want to set the focus on Elijah and the widow here. The fact that the widow put all of her needs aside in order to first get Elijah a drink of water and then give him something to eat, because that's what she did. All the while she was starving in need of the very same thing, that's God in action. If you ask me, that is God working through the widow. And that's the kind of heart that God seeks, one of compassion, one that steps out and says, okay, God. Here I am. I'll do it. Regardless of your circumstance, 
And here's what we need to consider. The widow's circumstance made her the most unlikely person to care for Elijah. Wouldn't you say? You wouldn't pick this person. Chances are we'd probably go to like, you know, let's get to that hotel outside the nice restaurant and see what we can drum up there. You wouldn't pick this person. But her heart made her the most likely person for God to choose to care for Elijah. Think about that. I want to repeat that. This widow's circumstance made her the most unlikely person to care for Elijah, but her heart made her the most likely person for God to choose to care for Elijah. Did you get that? God first looks at your heart because it's your heart that largely determines your actions. And we see Jesus saying this in in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Jesus states that the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The state of your heart is a powerful, powerful determinant and God sees your heart because it is a driving factor in both your words and your behavior. Focus on this for a second. Your circumstance or even your skill set may make you the most unlikely candidate, right? I can't do this. I don't have the skills to do this. Look at my circumstance. I don't have the money to do this. I don't have the means to do this. But your heart is the very thing that qualifies you before God. Your heart is the very thing that God says, yes, I will enable you. You got to step out in faith here. Let's flip this for a second, okay? This is, this is really interesting here. Um, you may be skilled at something and more than capable of doing something successfully. In other words, you have all, you know, you have the beautiful resume that if you hired me, I'm going to accomplish the task. I'm going to do it so well, right? I am confident. But if your heart isn't in the right place, I don't know, maybe you struggle with pride or something like that or an ego, If your heart is not in the right place, maybe you're not the person for the task. Think about that. Maybe you can do the task, but it's what the task does to you that matters. You see how great I was doing that? I did an awesome job, didn't I? I'm preaching this sermon right now, and I'm just like, I'm nailing it right now. Man, I am awesome. Yeah, so is God. You know what I mean? If your heart is not in the right place, you're going to steal glory from God. And just because you can do the job, just because you can do the task, doesn't mean that you should be doing it because God sees character first. It's character that matters. It's character within the church. That's what God looks at first. And a lot of times, I think we've fallen into the position in churches these days as running things as a business, and we bring the business model of the world into the church, which says, hey, let's look at the best resume, let's look at the skill set of these people, and then hire them, because they can get the job done. What we need to be looking at is character. Do they have heart? Do they love the people? Are they compassionate? Because you know what? I would rather see someone delivering for God, giving God all the glory with 100% heart and perhaps not do the job as well over here than someone who can do the job in a killer way, okay, but poison everything because of their heart. That's how churches need to operate. We need to look at character first. 
How loving is this person? How caring? Why? Because we have to understand that God will equip. God will get us through. All right? This is not performance-based Christianity. It is heart-based, grace-filled love of Jesus Christ. It's God's expression to us. And yes, the heart matters that much. And here's the thing. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been given the heart of Jesus. And if you have, have yet to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God desires for you to receive the heart of Jesus. It's all about the heart, people. So here's the thing. God asked the question, what does God see in you? What does God see in you? Does he see a heart that would respond the way Jesus would respond if he were to perhaps send someone your way? Does he see a heart of sacrifice in you? One that would give someone a drink when you yourself need a drink. That's what makes this situation with the widow so profound here. She gave when she needed the very thing that she was giving away. Can you give someone a drink when you're thirsty? Yes. Can you give someone a drink? I mean, did I say that right? Help me out here. Will you give someone a drink when you're thirsty yourself? Because it's easy to give someone a drink when you've been satisfied first. Right? Think on that. These are hard questions to answer, and it involves all sorts of things that we need to struggle with. I really do think that. How about this one? In this passage, God is on a mission, isn't he? And he invited both Elijah and the widow to participate in that mission. He called, and they responded with the heart of God. What was the mission? Well, they had the situation with Baal being infused in the land. I got to do something about that. That's God's mission. I got to restore Israel. I got to restore my people. That's the mission. I got to bring my people back to me. And Elijah responded through obedience, and the widow responded with compassion and grace, but they both responded in faith. God is inviting you to be a missional people. I honestly believe that. I really do. That's at the very heart of the Bible. Once you hit Genesis chapter 3, it moves all the way to the end. God's on the mission. These aren't simple stories. They're part of the mission. But why am I saying this, that God is on a restorative mission? Well, that means that God hasn't formed the church so that we can just hang out. I love hanging out. I love fellowship. That is part of the blessings, okay? When you're done with the mission, gather back together. Recoup, you know, you know, just gather together for strength and endure and then just go to each other. Huddle, right? Get into that huddle so you can do the next play. So we're not just hanging out together. Rather, he formed the church to be an ever-present manifestation of his presence in the world. You are part of a mission. When you go looking for a church, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a place to join in God's mission. That sounds a lot more significant than I'm looking for a place where the preacher preaches these sermons that are just, they make me feel good and, you know, this and that, and, and they strengthen me. Yeah, they strengthen you so you can accomplish the mission. There's a purpose for all this. Mission. 
So in light of this, then here, here's the question. I've got two more questions that we're going to reflect on. Um, one, I want you to reflect on this this week, okay? And the next question, we're going to reflect on it right now. Um, and the first question is, what part of the mission is God inviting you into? I want you to think on that as an individual. How, how can you live in the God's mission? And I want you to think of that as, as St. John. Because I'll tell you what, it's you who will be part of determining the mission, not the pastor, okay? We're all in this together. There's no model where the pastor is this leader and then just does all this and stuff. No, God has equipped you to lead, right? This is your body. You determine how you're going to join God in the mission. I think that is an amazing thing, all right? It's, you are not followers, you are leaders, all right? And God is equipping you for that. He chooses unlikely people. I think he's chosen the right people. Bless you. You all right? <laughs> like you sneeze, and I saw that boom, and like, you know, you're still here, Hunter, okay? You didn't sneeze and just like go somewhere else. You're still here. But think on that this week. Um, now, the, the question I want to like also focus on right now in the next few moments, we're going to take the next few moments while Dave makes his way up here, um, and we're going to reflect on this. How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus in my daily life? Because that's being part of the mission. A lot of times when you hear mission, you think elsewhere, right? Now, mission starts in your own home. It starts with the people around you. It starts with the people you love, how you treat each other in compassion, more patience, how you treat the people around you when you go out into public. That's mission right there. Um, you know, there are missions when we go out into the world, but every day you're going out into the world. So how, we're going to take a moment, I'm going to have a seat over here. How can we, or how can you be the hands and feet of Jesus? Bow your heads and think on that for a couple minutes, or a couple seconds. <laughs>